Okay, it brings us to our passage today, which is in John 18, if you'd like to follow in, follow on in your Bibles. We'll be going through the whole reading now. I might pause time from time and pass a few little comments on it as we go. But from John, 19, uh, John 18, starting at verse 1. When Jesus, had said, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went away with his disciples across the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden which he entered with his disciples. I'm going to show you a little map of, not really a map, but a picture here. Oops. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, sorry. Uh, okay, so this is standing with our back to the old city of Jerusalem. The temple would have been around here, this side. Uh, this is the Kidron Valley that Jesus crossed to get to the garden, which is here. This is the Church of Gethsemane, and this is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went. And just for your interest, as it's Palm Sunday, this is the road of the triumphal entry, and this is the Mount of Olives. doesn't look very olive does it? I'll show you why in a sec. Okay. Up there? Yeah. Don't know, to be honest. <laughs> Ask your dad, he'll find out for you. I don't know. Um, yeah, so they cross, they cross the Kidron Valley to get to Gethsemane. If you kids, if you walk around these block of stairs, right, a chair, sorry, that, that can be the Kidron Valley. And then when you come back, it will be... It'll be the Garden of Gethsemane here. There you go. You're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you know what Gethsemane means? It comes from two Hebrew words called Gat and Shemanim, which is press and oil or olive. That's my dad's tree, so don't mess it up, he'll go mad. Um, so it means oil press, the place of the press, olive press. Um, so... In Gethsemane, it was an olive press. Here's some olives for you to try. Kids love olives, don't they? If you want a sweet, you've got to have an olive first. There you go. I'll put them on the table. The sweets are vegan, if that bothers anyone. Up, 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 up. You've got to try the olives first. Right, forget the sweets. Oh, all right, there you go. I'm a terrible parent, aren't I? Ridiculous. They're supposed to be trying the olives. Anyway, it's interesting, isn't it? Gethsemane was a place of the olive press. And um, olives had to be pressed three times. We saw an olive press in Nazareth when I was there. The olives had to be crushed and pressed three times to make the oil come out of them. Uh, and that made different types of oil. There's a few different parallels I could speak on there, but I don't have time. But... Um, there was extra virgin olive oil, virgin, and then the normal olive oil, and they each had different uses. But we see in Gethsemane, from the other Gospels, that Jesus was pressed three times. He was crushed with his anxiety, so much so that he even sweat blood, it tells us, in, in the other Gospels. Uh, and he prayed three times. So I think that's interesting and significant. Well, let's carry on. Crikey, they've obliterated them. Grace is eating the olives, at least. Well done, Grace. We'll carry on in our passage. This is the uh, road of the triumphal entry, just for your interest. So this is the other side. So this is the Kidron Valley, this side now, with the other side of it. The temple's over here. You can see the Alexa Mosque over here, or the Dome of the Rock. And the Alexa Mosque is on the Temple Mount there as well. And Gethsemane would have been over here behind this wall down at the bottom. 
carrying on. Oh yeah, I was going to tell you, this is the Mount of Olives. So why doesn't it look very olive-y? Not very green and pleasant, is it? It's a massive cemetery. Uh, and the, re- the reason for that is because in Acts, Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives and it said he's going to return likewise. And in Revelation, it tells us that when Jesus returns, the Mount of Olives will be split in two by a great earthquake and the dead will be raised. So because of that verse, these people have wanted to be buried here so that they can be first in queue, first in the line. Um, I don't know if that's commendable for their faith or whether it's a bit of a me-first attitude, but that's what it is. And apparently, I've been told that this is the most expensive real estate in all of Israel, Um, you know, on a square foot basis. So that's what the Mount of Olives looks like now. And this is Gethsemane, just for your interest as well. This is what the trees look like in Gethsemane. And it's thought that these are some of the oldest living things in the world. These trees are believed to be about 3,000 years old. That's even older than Paul and Susan at the back there. (laughs) It's really old, yeah, even combined, even where their ages combined. But those those trees, it's interesting, isn't it? Because those trees were the same trees that would have been there when Jesus was there praying. So that's an interesting experience to go and visit that place. Okay, carrying on in our passage. Now Judas, who was betraying him, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having obtained the Roman cohort and the officers, the officers and sorry, obtained the Roman cohort, the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lecterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all things were coming upon him, came out into the open and said to them, "Who are you seeking?" They answered him, "Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene." And he said to them, I am he. Uh, Also Judas, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Um, That's significant. I I mentioned earlier about the I am he. And the translation that we have in our Bibles, I am he, the he is not there in Greek. So when they say, who are you looking for? Jesus says, I am. And I'm telling you, I think that's significant. Um, I am he is written there because in translation, we have to make it make sense in our language. Uh, but if, depending on the translation you have, you might find that the he is in italics, meaning it was added afterwards. But Jesus says, I am. And I think it's significant because of what we read next. Now then, when he said to them, I am, or I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's a weird thing, isn't it? I don't know if we often hear that mentioned in the Easter story, but I believe that's a foreshadow of Revelation where it says that one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And uh, I hope you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today. He then asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are seeking me, let these men go their way. And this took place so that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Again, we see Jesus' concern for his disciples here, don't we? You know, he's about to go through a horrendous situation and he's concerned for his disciples. Then Simon Peter, since he had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. This is the sort of verse that gives me confidence in the Gospels. You see the, the amount of detail there. It's not, it doesn't just say Peter chopped off someone's ear. It tells us which ear he chopped off. It tells us the guy's name, his job title, and the guy he worked for. 
That's pretty specific, isn't it? You know, people reading this originally in the first century could have easily sought him out. They, everyone would have known who the high priest was. They could have sought out this guy and asked him about it. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword in the sheath, the cup which the fa- father has given me, am I not to drink it? So the Roman cohort, the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and brought him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was in their best interest for one man to die in behalf of the people. And this is referring back to John 11, verse 49, which you can look at if you like in your own time. But this is where uh, they're plotting to kill Jesus, and Caiaphas, being the high priest, is given a prophecy that Jesus is to die for the people. And he says it there. Moving on. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought brought Peter in. Then the slave woman, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves... And the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have always spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple area, where all the Jews congregate, and I said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me? Ask those who have heard what I spoke to them. Look, those people know what I said. But when he said this, one of the officers who was standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was still standing and warming himself. So they said to him, Are you not one of the disciples as well? You're not one of the disciples as well, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, uh, who was related to the one whose ear was cut off, there you go, it's another person they could have sought out to ask about it, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. So, um, he's gone to Annas, and then to Caiaphas, and we, we see from the other Gospels that during that time, Jesus was held at Caiaphas's house, Underneath, I'm going to show you in a sec a picture of it. Um, so, these are the original. These are the st- steps that Jesus would have been marched up by Annas to Caiaphas's house. This is Caiaphas's house. Um, there's a church built on it now, but they know it was his house, or the, they they believe it was his house because of archaeological things that were found there, both coins dating from the time, and specific type of pottery that was found there that was used in the rituals of the high priest. And under the high priest's house, where you can go, is like this dungeon. And there's these channels cut out of the rock, which, as you can see from the ropes put in there, they believe this is potentially the place where Jesus was held the night before his crucifixion. And I think that was one of the most moving places for me, visiting Israel and being in that place, thinking that could have been where Jesus was. Anyway, they themselves did not enter the praetorium. This is after they've left Caiaphas' house. 
so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate came out to them and said, What accusation are you bringing against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This happened so that the word of Jesus, which he said, indicating what kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Therefore Pilate entered the praetorium again and summoned Jesus and said to him, You are the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And I can think of... uh, barely a better question for Pilate to ask that's fitting for our own culture and generation than this, what is truth? I don't know if Pilate said it mockingly or if he was genuine in his question, but consider as well the irony, the fact that he's actually speaking to the one who claims to be the truth, uh, the way and, and the life. And after saying this, he came out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no grounds at all for charges in this case. However, you have a custom... I release one prisoner for you at the Passover. Therefore, do you wish that who do you sorry? Therefore, do you wish that I release to you the King of the Jews? So they shouted again, saying, "No, not this man, but Barabbas." Now, Barabbas was a rebel. And that's our passage for today, kids. Why don't you go and sit back down and find your clipboards? You seem to be losing. Are there any more no, there's no more sweets. You scoffed them all. <coughs> okay. So. I'd like to spend the remaining section of our time speaking about this chap, Barabbas. It seems in the, in the passage that he's almost mentioned uh, in passing, isn't it? Not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a rebel. Um, he seems potentially insignificant, but I don't think he is significant. Um, and I'll tell you why. For a start, all four Gospels mention Barabbas. When you bear in mind that only two of them mentioned Jesus' birth, that should be a bit of a hint that he is fairly significant, I think. And out of all the miracles Jesus did, only the feeding of the 5,000 is mentioned in all four Gospels. So Barabbas, what can we know about him? Well, one of the most helpful things you can do when you're looking at the Bible, especially with the Gospels, we've got four different eyewitness accounts. You can blend them all together, harmonise them, and then see what we can find out. And when it comes to Barabbas, when we do that, we know that he was a criminal, He's described as a robber and a murderer, and that he was charged with starting an insurrection. And the Romans, they had a tradition that they'd let a prisoner go at Passover, we saw in our passage, and Pilate, Pilate's a bit of a weak man, he's desperate to wash his hands of the situation, he doesn't want a massive riot with the Passover festival about to start, he doesn't want to get in trouble with Caesar, uh, and he's desperate to wash his hands of the situation. We see from the passage that Pilate's wife has already had a dream about Jesus, not from today's passage, but in the other Gospels. Pilate's wife has had a dream about Jesus, which was so distressing to her that she warned her husband not to have anything to do with this innocent man. She knew he was innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent. And Pilate was a weak man, so he presents Barabbas to the crowd. 
in deliberate contrast to Jesus, hoping that they'll forget about trying to kill Jesus and just be content to witness the spectacle of the crucifixion of a well-known criminal. And he was wrong, wasn't he? He was dead wrong. Why was Pilate wrong? Today's Palm Sunday, and this is why I think Pilate was wrong. Jesus, on Palm Sunday, entered to shouts and praises of Hosanna. And they wanted to crown him king. They wanted Jesus to be their Messiah. And when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, he didn't go to the Antonia Fortress and overthrow the Romans, did he? He went to the temple and berated the Jews for making it a place of commerce and trade. He overturned their tables, reprimanded them and chucked them out of the temple for making God's place a den of, a den of thieves and a, a place of commerce. Um, and you see, I think this is where the people become angry and disillusioned about their Messiah. He didn't do what they wanted him to do. You contrast this with Barabbas, we see that he's guilty of an insurrection. He actually had tried to overthrow the Romans. So this may well be why, G why the people had demanded his freedom over Jesus. Well, there's some more interesting things we can know about Barabbas as well. If you understand a little bit of Hebrew, you can work out what his name means. Uh, we know that Bar in Hebrew means son. So in the Gospel it says Simon Bar Jonah, that means Simon, son of Jonah. And when Jewish boys turn 13, they get Bar Mitzvahed. And that means to become a son of the law. Mitzvah is the law in, in Jewish. Um, so uh, we know that the first part of Barabbas' name means son. And the second part, Abba, means father. We know that from how Jesus taught us to pray, right? Abba, father. So Barabbas' name literally means son of the father. It's a little bit generic, perhaps, isn't it? But there might be a reason for it. Um, I've told you before, when thinking about names, that Olivia means ancestor's descendant. It's a bit generic, isn't it? It's kind of the epitome of a generic name, I think. Ancestor's descendant doesn't really mean anything, does it? And son of the father is kind of the same way, but there's, a, there's an obvious parallel here, isn't there? Because every time Jesus uh, refers to himself, he always claims his identity as being the son of the father. There might be a couple of reasons for Barabbas' name. It might be that he was it might be that his father was a prominent man, maybe a rabbi or a political leader. So he would have been known as the son of his father in that regard. Or it might have been that perhaps he was just like his father. We use the same expression, don't we? We say, ah, oh, you're just like your father. Uh, Lane will sometimes say to Emily, ah, oh, you're just like your father. That's, ah, oh, you're just like your father. Not, ah, oh, you're just like your father. So there's an interesting parallel there, isn't there? But it gets even more interesting than that because... In some of the early manuscripts that we have from Matthew, they refer to Barabbas as Jesus Barabbas. So it may well have been that Barabbas' name was also Jesus. So it could have been in the passage um, that Pilate was actually saying, who shall I release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is named the Christ? And it wouldn't be entirely surprising. The name Jesus was a reasonably common name in those days in Palestine. But it's an interesting parallel, isn't it? Um, and I'm going to draw your attention to the fact, I've spoken about this before, with regards to the Jewish feasts, and hopefully I'll speak again about the autumn feasts, maybe in the summer. But with the spring feasts in Leviticus 23, God, God gives us these feasts, and they're times when people would remember and had to celebrate what God had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt. So we had the Feast of Passover, which they've been celebrating every year since Egypt, since they were freed, and we see Jesus and his disciples celebrating Passover. Then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then the Feast of First Fruits, and then the Feast of Passover. 
And these were known as God's feasts or God's appointed times. And we see from the Easter story that Jesus was both arrested and crucified on Passover, that he was in the tomb during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that he was resurrected on the day of first fruits, and uh, Corinthians tells us that Jesus is our first fruits of the resurrection. And then 50 days after, um, after the Feast of first fruits, we have the Feast of Pentecost, which is when Jews believed the law was given. Uh, and this is when the Holy Spirit is given to us. So there's some interesting parallels there, isn't there? And there's also a set of autumn feasts, uh, which, as I said, I'm hoping to speak about one of those, uh, some of those in the summer. But the holiest feast in the Jewish calendar is the autumn feast of Yom Kippur, and that is the Day of Atonement. That's the day the people's sins were atoned for. And there's a clear parallel there with Easter, isn't there, with our sins being atoned for in the cross. So you might expect there to be some interesting parallels, and there is. So Yom Kippur was the one day of the year when the high priest was granted access to the Holy of Holies. He would have to have a bell hanging from his clothes so he could hear it jingling, and he'd have a rope tied around his ankle, and he'd enter through that curtain to the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins of the people. And the reason he had to have a rope around his ankle was if he dropped dead in the presence of God, they could haul his corpse out. So holy was this place and so rev- reverent was this, um, th- this feast, that Yom Kippur. Uh, and there's a parallel there, isn't there? We see, as Jesus said, it is finished. That curtain is ripped in two and Jesus, as our great high priest, makes the way for everyone to come direct- directly to God. We can come freely and directly and confidently to God because of what Jesus has done for us. But there's another ritual that takes place on the Day of Atonement, which I think is interesting. See, the high priest was to take two goats, and the two goats had to be identical, and the goats were presented before all the gathered people, and then lots were drawn, a decision was made, and then one of the goats was set free back into the wilderness, and the other one was slaughtered before all the people for their sins. So it's hard not to notice a parallel there, isn't it? I think that's a really interesting parallel. But it's not a perfect parallel, and I have to say, if you've watched Rich's... Easter videos, if you haven't, I'd encourage you to check them out on YouTube. There, there's two videos, they're both called Unique, uh, and which makes the point in one of the videos that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the whole law. And I think that's true of this ritual too. So even though there's a clear picture here, one of them gets free and one of them um, gets killed, in the Gospels we see earlier on in Jesus' ministry that he was prompted to go into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and he was tempted to sin in all sorts of ways. And unlike the rest of humanity, who always fail, Jesus doesn't fail here. He overcomes the temptations that we failed to overcome. So I think that's a clearer picture of Jesus as that scapegoat. And by the way, that's where we get our word for scapegoat, if you've ever heard that expression. It's from this ancient ri- uh, Jewish ritual. Uh, back to our account in John, another interesting thing as well, to make this point again, is look at the trial of Jesus. Throughout the, Jew- throughout the millennia, the Jews celebrated Passover every year. And they had a Passover lamb. And every year, that Passover was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem four, four days before Passover. So it would have been on Sunday, Palm Sunday, as Jesus paraded himself. And that, then it was kept at the high priest's house. And the high priest was the one that was ordained to offer this official Passover lamb. And so I think it's interesting, isn't it? Look at who it is that's offering Jesus up. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Who is it that's offering him up? 
is Caiaphas, the high priest. He's the one that was ordained to offer the Passover lamb that year, and it's him that's paying for the blood of Jesus. But again, I have to say that Jesus is the richer and deeper fulfilment of, of all of the Old Testament. And what do, we see, what do we see in Hebrews? We see that Jesus is our great high priest. And what do we see from the Gospels? We see that nobody takes Jesus' life from him. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I offer it up freely of myself. So again, Jesus is the greater, deeper, richer fulfillment, offering his own life up, up for us as our great high priest. So I hope those thoughts are interesting and helpful to you. Um, as we close, there's one last thing that I want us to notice about, about Barabbas. And that is, in a way, he is the first recipient of the gospel in a very visual way. That is to say, he's the first person in a very literal way that could say, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus took my place on the cross. He was killed in my place because he's hanging on the cross. I get to go free. Barabbas' legal record is wiped clean and off he goes while the innocent one hangs on the cross. And as we leave here today and over Easter, I'd encourage you to reflect on this in a couple of ways. Um, firstly, Pilate offered the people a choice, didn't he? He presented to them Jesus and Barabbas and said, who, who do you want? And I'm going to present you with that same choice today and ask, what will you do with Jesus? Two, two different options presented before you. What do you make of Jesus? Will you accept him as your Messiah? Or will you reject him as the crowd did? And where do you place your hope? And if you are hoping and trusting in Jesus, then I hope that this picture of Barabbas is a helpful one as we continue going through the Easter story as we have our Monday, Thursday and Good Friday services and Easter Sunday. I hope this picture of Barabbas is a helpful image for us to contemplate and relate to a condemned sinner saved while an innocent substitute hangs on the cross in his place. I hope that's a helpful thing for us to reflect on. Amen.